Um, just a quick announcement. Um, there is a really important thing that we need to do this week. Many of you have been asking for about a year now, how do we help Aaron Orr? He is our first church planting resident to be trained and, and, and sent out by our church to plant a church. He's planting a church in Conroe very early on in the process, but he is just launching his first outreach actually this week, this Friday, they have their first prayer time and, and they're doing an outreach. And so many of you guys have been asking, like, how do we help? And so uh, here's a very strategic way we can help. The church is called Maranatha Church, and one day we'll have him come speak. He can explain to you why it's called Maranatha Church. But uh, he is doing some outreach. He and his core group are doing some outreach in low-income apartments. And they've asked us to come alongside to provide 50 backpacks filled with school supplies because school is a coming. And so we started, started this last week. Some of you guys have already brought them. There's a box on either side on the way you go out on this, this wall on this side of the lobby. And if you know, want to know like, what to bring, there's a list there on that box. So if you haven't got our newsletter, you should sign up for our newsletter, by the way. There's a lot of good information in there because this information was there in the newsletter. Uh, we also sent out an email, and we also posted it on social media. And so you can go back and see it there. But if you didn't get in any of that, take your phone. I don't have mine with me. It's over there. But take a picture of that list. And when do you bring it back? Bring it back next Sunday. Next Sunday is our in-gathering day, 50. That means we need 50 families to say, I will go buy a backpack. I'll stuff it with that list that's there, and I'll bring it back this Sunday. Will you all do that? It's an incredible opportunity for help, to help them and to pray for them and to be a catalyst for some really cool things for connections of Jesus-centered relationships in Conroe for Maranatha Church. Throughout the centuries, the New Testament church has, has divided history of mankind and the history of Scripture. Bible scholars has divided it into four sections. The first is creation. It's when it all began, right? And the second is the fall, and we get there pretty quickly, right, in the book of Genesis. Then you have this long section of the fall, but then, so you got creation, you got the fall, and then the third is redemption. And that's when Jesus came. God in flesh and dwelled among us, and he took on our sin on the cross and rose again on the third day. And the fourth is consummation, and that's the idea that Jesus is coming again. And yes, we are made new spiritually and eternally when we put our faith in Jesus, but Jesus is coming back. And guess what? It may be today. And so the church has lived like that. Like they were called people of the way in the first century church because they, they really thought that that very day Jesus would come back again. He's going to come back. I can't tell you exactly when. We're not digging into that today, but he's coming back. So, so let's, let's go over that again. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Because one day, the promise of Scripture in Revelation 21 is that Jesus will come back and everything will be made completely right again. And today, we get a prophetic glimpse, if I could use that language. That's a strong language. But we get a prophetic glimpse into that redemption, that third section that we talked about, that, that third category. Because as we pick up in Mark chapter 7, we are in the midst of the story of redemption. And, and what we're going to read today is an illustration of what happens in our soul when we encounter Jesus Christ. And it's also a picture of that consummation that is to come when God makes all things 
when he heals everything. So turn with me to, to Mark chapter 7. Today we're going to begin in verse 31. This is really an incredible passage, as all of them are. But let's get this straight off the bat. Jesus is the great healer. Let that set in. He is the great healer. We've learned this in so many ways in our journey through the book of, book of Mark already. And we're reminded again today, Jesus' healing has no limits, nor does it discriminate. It does not, it is not a respecter of persons because it's not founded on our goodness, on people's goodness, nor is it founded on our faithfulness. His healing is founded in his goodness and his faithfulness. Let's read together in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre. That's where he, where he was at when he had just done this miracle of casting a Syrophoenician, Syrophoenician's mom, um, the daughter, her daughter, casting out that demon remotely. Like not even in person, he cast it out remotely. And, the, and, the, and Tyre is kind of north and west, right on the Mediterranean Sea uh, of Jerusalem and all that area. And that was a very Gentile area. It was a Gentile area that Jesus was in doing ministry at this point. So Jesus left this vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, that's north, and which is interesting. He went directly north to Sidon and then down to the Sea of Galilee. So back around to the Sea of Galilee and to the region of the Decapolis. Now that should sound familiar. If you've been with us for a while, we talked about the Decapolis before. What happened in the Decapolis? Well, Jesus was teaching on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, the, the, the Israel side of the Sea of Galilee. Then he told his disciples, I'm going to the other side, right? So they, got, they were in a boat and they went to the other side. And what happened on the other side? They encountered the Gerasene demoniac, right? This, this man who had been cast out of his city because he was, he was completely possessed by around 2,000 demons. That's the word lesion, right? Like so, and then, then Jesus healed him, and then what did that man do? He went around to the area of the Decapolis, declaring the goodness of Jesus. So that, that's where we heard that name before, the ten cities, and they were all Gentile cities on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, all but one. Nine of them were on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus made this trip from Tyre, north to Sidon, back around the Sea of Galilee to the area of the Decapolis, which is a 120-mile journey. How many, when was the last time you walked 120 miles? It's a lot. Jesus made a journey. And why, why did he do that? Well, we read in verse 32. There, some people brought to him, that's Jesus, a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. So he was deaf and, and that, that could hardly talk. Many of your translations say that he was mute. Uh, some people said he said he has a stutter, you couldn't understand him. Or it, it could be that he was completely mute, he couldn't talk at all. And you got to realize, like today, if you're deaf and you're mute, you have lots of resources to communicate and, and back and forth. You can speak different ways, right? Not using your voice, but we have all these things. We have Braille and all these things. Back then, if you were deaf and you were mute, you were out of luck. You were completely ostracized from communicating with people. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. I love that. They begged Jesus. Jesus, if you would just touch me. Touch, touch our friend. And after he took him aside, Away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Ew, all I got to say. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He spit on his hand, 
and he took his hand and he touched the man's tongue. Bigger ooh. And he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh. I love it. I'm so thankful that God put that in here because my wife always gets on to me for sighing a lot. Now I can say, look, 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 Jennifer, I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. <laughs> but that's not, that's not here. Uh, most, most scholars think that he looked up at a deep sigh. Like it, it's a sigh of groaning. It, it's a sigh of like, I, I am not okay with the brokenness that I see. I'm not okay because I care. We talked about that word splankna a few weeks ago, that, that he was moved to the inner core, like his gut, he was bent over because he is a God of compassion and love. So he, 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 he groaned, he sighed, not like I do, nothing like I do. He sighed because he, 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 he was broken. And, and he, he had to do something about the brokenness that was right in front of him. And so he sighed, looked up to heaven, and said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. And at this, the man's ears were opened, and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. I can't believe this really happened. I wish I'd have been there. Man, his disciples had a front row seat to some amazing, incredible stuff. Look at what happens in verse 36. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. Listen, we talked about this last week, that that you can put a lamp under a bushel, but you can't hide the sun, right? Like this was so good. There's no way they could have possibly kept this to themselves. Like they had to start talking about it. And people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, if you would, take your Bible. I hope you bring it every week. I promise we're going to use this every week. Turn, turn back to the Old Testament. And I'm very short on time, so I'm not going to unpack this. But I want you to know that, that Jesus fulfilled well over 300 Old, Test, Old Testament messianic prophecies. And and very clearly, he does so of Isaiah chapter 35. Are you all with me? Isaiah chapter 35. And if you look at verse 5, and what it's talking about here, 800 years before Christ is Isaiah prophesying. And before this is a bunch of things saying that there's going to be a judgment because of all of the sins of God's chosen people. They kept going away from God. And so he is proclaiming a judgment, a season of judgment over the people of Israel. But then it changes in verse 35 to say that, look, God's going to send a Savior. God's going to send a Messiah. And look at verse 5. When this happens, you will know this Savior by this mark, one of the many, but this mark. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. That sound familiar? Even if you go back to verse 1, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly, shout 
and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it in the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of God for the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give away. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Even the path that Jesus walked. Remember that 120-mile journey from Tyre to Sidon? back around, it's kind of a semicircle, back around over to the Sea of Galilee, to the eastern part of the Sea of Galilee, to the Decapolis. Guess where he had walked? He had walked from around Carmel to Sharon through the valley of Lebanon. That's the Bacaw Valley nowadays, back down to the Decapolis. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus so clearly fulfilled this Old Testament 800 years before Jesus walked the earth. Isaiah said this, and Jesus walked the same walk as he talked about, and he did the same miracle. That they, when this happened, they would know that this man is not just man, he is God in the flesh. Come to rescue, come to save. I love that. Notice how healing happens here. I think it's really important. I'm going to be brief today, but I think it's really important. The, the, the question is, how does healing happen here? The first is this. There was a bringing. There was a bringing. That's the first blank there in your notes. And the truth is, healing happens purposefully. Healing happens purposefully. Well, how does that happen here? Well, we know that, that, that God is sovereign and, and that Jesus is God and he is always in control. And so he is orchestrating, walking this walk that he did, fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. And there's this divine encounter. It's not an accident that this is happening, right? There's this divine encounter at that moment in time. Jesus walked that journey so he can encounter this deaf, mute man. But also, and maybe more importantly for us today, there is a purpose of his friends to bring this man to Jesus. Maybe even maybe his friends had heard that man who had been completely restored after he'd been demon-possessed for a long time. And that man going around, hey, there's a man, Jesus, that restored me, and he is teaching and doing things that no one has ever done before. Maybe, maybe that missionary man had told these friends, I don't know, I'm reading into it, but maybe that led them to say, hey, what if, what if we brought our friend to Jesus and maybe he would just, if he would just touch him. And we don't know if they were expecting a healing or just a blessing. We don't really know. We kind of have to read into that here, but maybe just maybe Jesus would do it again and touch our friend. You ever wonder what the percentage of people who come to Jesus were invited by someone to come to church. If you were to guess, what do you think that percentage is? Just someone throw out a number. Of the percentage of people who come to Jesus, become followers of Jesus, how many of those were invited? 70? Okay. Someone else? This is your chance to shine. Devin? Oh, come on. Stop it. I'm just kidding. He always gets it good. That's why I ask him. Like, he's always close. I don't know why, man. But listen, here's the numbers. Here's the numbers. 2% come because of advertisement. 
whatever that is, ad, public advertising, social media, those kind of things, which is important. We value that. We spend time doing that. 6% by pastoral invitation. That's on me. I got to do my work to invite people. 6%. Wow. 6% by organized evangelism campaign, whatever that is. Could be a big crusade, could be door to door, whatever that is. 6%. Add that up. 6, 6, that's how many? And 2. Guess what the rest are? 86% of people come to faith in Jesus because they were invited. We must realize this. I, I must realize this. We can't fundamentally rely on our social media and our mailers and our crusades, although all those things are important. They're really important. And we should do such things. We should realize that our social media presence is not near as important as our people presence, right? Is the power of the invite. Mother Teresa recognized this. She said, never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time and always start with the person nearest you. But God has placed us here to be followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus, the paradigm or follower of Jesus to be, is to be bringers. And I don't know how you, if you have trusted in Christ at some point in your life, I'm not sure how that happened in your life. But maybe you're like me and you were a drug baby. Every time the church was opened, you were drugged to church by your parents, right? And that, that's me. But, but maybe for you is when you were a kid. Maybe for you when, when you when you were a teenager. Maybe for you, you were 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. I don't know when that was, but odds are you had a bringer in your life. I don't know who that was. For me, it was my mom and my dad from a very early age. Who was your bringer? The friends were the bringers here. We said at the beginning of this year we would focus on three things and probably haven't talked about it as much as we should, but we said it would be our B3 strategy for this year. One, it, the first one is to be a beer, not, not a B-E-E-R. You've got to put a dash in there, okay? And what does that mean? That means be a disciple of Jesus, like experience for yourself, taste and see the goodness of the Lord yourself and what it means to be a follower, a genuine follower of Jesus. But then we said be a bringer. The people of God are to be a bringer. And then we said the third thing is don't stop there. Be a builder. Pour into someone. Be a disciple that pours into people so they can know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so how you do that? I mean, intentionally, purposefully. And these men did that. I go out on a limb and say those six people, those six students that came to Christ this, this week, what a phenomenal thing, right? Someone brought them. Someone, I don't even know who all those were. I know some of them. I know some of them, their parents brought them. Some of those are in the room. Way to go, parents. Way to go. Okay. Maybe it was a friend. Some of those certainly were invited by friends. Man, we could learn something from our students. We could learn something from these friends that they, they understood that, man, if they would just do an invite and bring this friend who had a broken life, this ailment, if they just brought him to Jesus, Jesus would do the rest. Man, and he does. And man, did he. So there was a bringing. Healing happens purposefully. Most often. Now, God can do anything that he wants, right? Sometimes he's like, boom, I'm healed, right? I'm going to heal. I'm going to heal this person. But most of the time, there is a purposefully bringing. The second is there is a pulling. And here's the truth. He, healing happens personally. 
I love this, that, that not only we have this incredible story of a healing of the man, but look how Jesus, look what he did toward the man. The friends did the bringing, but then what did Jesus do? He did what the great shepherd does. He took that man out of the crowd and he pulled him aside. He pulled him out of the crowd. Why? Because Jesus understands that transformation and healing happens personally. He's a, I can just imagine the great shepherd, you know, the shepherd has a shepherd's staff, and when there is a wayward sheep, what does that shepherd do? He goes out, remember, he leaves the 99 for the one, right? He goes out, and he finds that wayward sheep, which is in great danger of dying. What does he do? He hits it over the head with his shepherd's staff. Uh-uh. That's not what Jesus, that's not what Jesus did here. Now, certainly not what a shepherd does. They don't do that. That sheep doesn't know any different. If you hit a sheep on the head, it's not smart enough to understand why it's getting hit over the head, right? No, the shepherd will take that shepherd's staff with the hook on the end and grab the neck and pull gently back and grab that, that sheep in his arms and pick it up and brings him back to safety. Can't you see that's what Jesus did here in the story? He's not shocking us with his electric probe out of heaven. He's coming to us and gently coming to, come to us, gently pulling us to side, just like he did this deaf mute man and does what he does. Do you remember when you were a kid? Did your mom, when your hair was a little bit off, did your mom ever take and, and lick her finger? Man, that's so gross. Even worse, if you got like dirt on your face, This is kind of the ooh moment for me. Like Jesus, I mean, he stuck his finger in the guy's ear. And then he, he, he has this spit and touches his tongue. Oh, I thought about when I was a kid. I'm looking back on that and like, that was gross. It's still gross looking back. But you know what? The only people that do that are people that care. You ever have someone that, that you don't know? I mean, if you were like me, that would be a fighting thing, right? That is not okay. It's still not okay for my mom to do it, even today. But I understand she does that because she cares. Jesus does this for us. He makes us clean. Why? Because he cares. Back in those days, for us, it was like it's an ooh moment. Back in those days, in, in, in the first century, they thought saliva had healing properties. And so I know it's the ooh moment for us, but, but for that man who is deaf and that man who is mute, when Jesus did this, it wasn't a ooh, it was a here we go. And then it happened. Jesus healed that man. And then what was the response? They were amazed. The people were amazed. Beyond measure, literally, it means beyond measure. And what is what was their response? He makes all things well. Now let's go back. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Go back to creation. At the end of creation, in Genesis chapter 1, when God looked over his creation, what did he say? It is good. Well, we know the Old Testament, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It was 
translated into the Greek in the Septuagint. If you go back into the Septuagint to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, guess what? It's the exact same word that's used here in Mark chapter 7 when it says, this is, this, he makes all things well. So we have to connect the dots. What's happening here is they're, they're recognized that, that, that this Jesus, he not only heals, he has come to do something bigger and broader. And so, so God created, and we know through John chapter 1 that, that Jesus is God and the word became flesh and nothing was created apart from him. Go read John, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, right? And then sin into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. That's the fall. Sin and death and decay. There was no deafness. There was no muteness. There was no cancer or any other ailment that we can think of before the fall. They are cascading effects of the fallenness of man. But now, God in the flesh, the creator, has stepped onto the stage of the world, walking in those days the very world that he created. And what is he doing? He's making all things new. Wherever he goes, he is undoing the effects of the fall of man. Hmm. He does all things well, as they said. Why? Because he is God. And that is the main truth of this passage. Why are they saying he does all things well? They're looking back to Genesis chapter 1. And God said, all things are good, all things are whole, and all things are complete. And it's, it's the answer to the question that they're all asking, like, how does he do this? And what power and authority does he do this? Because he is God. He is making all things new in their midst because he is God. He is making wholeness of brokenness. He is making darkness to light. He is taking hopelessness and turning it to hope. He is turning from death to life. And that day, that day, the deaf, mute man met his healing because he met Jesus. When when did that happen for you? When was that moment in your life when you encountered Jesus in a life-transforming way? The band's going to come, and we're going to do something really amazing that churches have done for a couple of centuries, for a couple of millennia, 2,000 years. We call it the Lord's Supper, and it's, it's our regular memorial day of, of what Jesus has done for us, and that where healing and restoration and life comes from. It's a time of remembrance. And if you're here today and and you can't remember a time when this happened for you, when you encountered Jesus in that kind of life-transforming way, can I just say to you, I'd love to talk to you today. Find me after the service or take that connection card to the place on the back that I'd like to find eternal or find hope in Jesus, or I'd like to talk to a pastor. Either one, either one of those will work, and tear that off and put it in the offering box on the way out. I would love to talk to you about that because like, that is why we are here. And if you are here and you remember that time, now is the time to remember. Jesus is the great healer, and he healed me. He healed me.
remember where I was. I was a stone's throw from Blake Livingston in my living room where God took his staff and pulled me in, showed me my, my sin and the ramifications of my sin and the eternal separation from him and reminded me of what he had done. He paid for my sin on the cross. He paid for your sin on the cross. And I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ because I trusted in who he is and invited him to come into my life. You remember when for you, Jesus was on his way to the cross and told his disciples to go find a room. And so they went and found a room and Jesus gathered with his disciples in that upper room with his, with his 12 disciples. They were gathered around. The first thing Jesus did is he entered the room and he took his outer cloak off he wrapped it around his waist and he took a bowl of, of water and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And you may know the story. Peter's like, uh-uh. Jesus is like, uh-huh. Why did Jesus do that? Well, to show that he is a suffering servant, fulfilling that prophecy as well. But, but the importance of being clean He's modeling that for us. That's why in the book of Corinthians that, that Paul says to the early church that when you come to the Lord's taper, table, when you remember through the elements, symbolic elements of the bread and the wine, we use grape juice. When you do, make sure to examine yourself. Make sure you come, like we talked about last week, come with pure hearts that we can't get ourselves. Only God can give to us. And so would you in a moment... Would you just spend a moment with the Lord, your Lord, if you have come to this moment, you, he is your personal Lord. Would you do what 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So before we come, we're not coming to the table physically because we're going to use these newfangled things that are right in front of you. So would you grab that? Because I think I'm a... I'm a very uh, tangible, I like to hold things. Like it, it's powerful to me. So if you think about taking the elements in your hand, and anybody can, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, everybody is welcome. Go ahead and grab this. And, and the way this works, because I don't want to go through it when we get there, the way this works, there's a clear piece. This is very important. There's a clear little tear off on top, then that gives you access to the bread, right? That's the symbolic body of Jesus Christ. And then very carefully pull that thing aside where the purple foil is and pull that back when we get ready, okay? Don't dump it in your lap. That's happened many times before. Don't do that. It's just a tool to help us remember that Jesus is my great healer. Jesus is your great healer. Would you take a moment as Blake plays just to whatever you need to say to your Lord, would you do that in this moment?